Kicking and Streaming Podcast is brought to you by Cafe 1804. Premium Haitian coffee now available online at cafe1804.com. That's cafe, K-A-F-E, 1804.com. Is it recording though? <laughs> Who knows, right? <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Let's let, let's see about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. So have you have you started that other show that we talked about? No, not yet. I was going to do it uh later this afternoon cuz uh yesterday You're was like it. Okay. Yeah, I like I have no doubts because Do you know the one thing I can't get out of my mind though is that for some reason Martin Freeman looks like Jeffrey, your husband, to me. <laughs> yeah, I can Did, see that, actually. <laughs> ha, has anyone ever told you that? Like, <laughs> I, I, I see Martin Freeman, and even in, in his ways, in the way he speaks, and especially with this character, like, yo, that's Jeffrey. <laughs> British accent. <laughs> <laughs> I can I, mean, I can see that thinking about Martin Freeman. I can completely see that. And um, now I'm more interested to see the show because I know what a good actor <laughs> Martin is. So the, the mannerisms will probably be a little different than in other things he's been in. <laughs> hey, man, I'm telling you, I was like, this is freaky, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get this show started, judges, can we? Yeah, sounds good. Okay. This is Kicking and Streaming Podcast, a binge watcher's guide to streaming movies, TV series, and stuff. Here are your hosts, Graham and Jocelyn. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Kicking and Streaming. My name is Graham, and with me today, once again, the fantastic JoJo is in the house. Hello, howdy-do. Howdy-do, Jojo. (laughs) (laughs) You see what we did there? (laughs) Ah, You didn't see that coming, did you? (laughs) Yeah? I did not. I did not. (laughs) (laughs) The, the, The wonders of new technology. It's exciting. Yes, yes, you know, uh, a little road broadcaster stuff right over, you know. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing it. We're doing Yay! it. So. All right. <laughs> and today we are talking about a little Netflix special. It's a four-part documentary. Yes. Right? It, it, it's called Challenger, the final... Uh, Journey? Is it the final journey or the final? The fi- final flight. The final flight. Yes. And right in the middle of the week, Jojo, you told me about this. You told me that's what you were watching <laughs> and uh, maybe we should consider it for the show. Tell me why you thought this would make for a good show because I loved it. I uh, I think I was, I just finished the first episode and I thought this is something that, that we should talk about. Like, I, I think that we both would enjoy or, or, or really enjoy, like, the, you know, learning more about the Challenger and some of the ins and outs that we may not have known that were going on. And then I think for 
people of my age in America is kind of a, a touchstone, a a point in history that a lot of us remember and know exactly where we were when it happened. Right. So I was like, I think this is something that we could really talk about and uh, get a, get a good uh, good discussion going. Yes, you know, for for the longest time until I saw this show, I, I suppose my most recent memory of like a tragedy where the whole world was aware of it was 9-11 right mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and that's not to say that we haven't had we haven't seen some so some tragedy in our lifetime i mean we are you know children born in the mid-70s and growing up in the 80s and coming of age in the 90s so we've seen some shit, haven't we? <laughs> yes. yes, we have. <laughs> yes, we have. But but the fact of the matter is, I suppose because of how recent it is, nine eleven is is what you know what tends to to be in in our minds when we when we think of something tragic. And I I remember saying to Christine, actually, Challenger was the first tragic thing as a child that I can remember everybody talking about. Yeah. And yeah. for some reason, it had faded in my memory. And somehow 9-11 took, you know, superimposed itself there. But now I can remember, thanks to this documentary. Yes. Wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. I um, I feel like this was, well, as you said, for for our generation, like the first... I don't know, like sort of our generation's 9-11 before 9-11 happened. Right. Because there, there's an interview with a, a gentleman who's talking about it happening, and he's like, it it reminds one of the, the Kennedy assassination. Yes, he's like, he's like He's like, I don't know why I'm drawing that correlation. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, I, I think it's it's one of those things that happens in history that you recognize, oh my gosh, this is a historic moment. And you remember where you are and it, it affects you. I, I know that, you know, for the kids who were attending school, who saw this blow up live on television, there, there is uh, memories of this that are echoing down that are going to affect us in our day to day life that we may not even realize. Yes, yes you're absolutely right. And, you know, for me, a, a child living in the Caribbean at the time, it's all a blur and, mm -hmm. and and getting an opportunity to know every single detail as to who was who. You know, I knew that there was one African-American, there was one Asian, there was a, a school teacher, but the background that would have made them humans to me, mm -hmm. as opposed to these people in, up in this pedestal, mm -hmm. I didn't know about that. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and that's what this documentary put into perspective for me. And so I think this discussion between you and me is going to be way more interesting in the sense that you lived here. <laughs> you lived in the U.S. <laughs> you were growing up in the U.S. I was growing up in the Caribbean. <laughs> so we can talk about this in the sense of what you remember and what I remember and how these affect. Because I, 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 I seem to remember that a year before, and I don't know why I keep coming back to 1985, wasn't there in 
epic earthquake in Mexico. That, that sounds familiar. Right? That does sound familiar, yes. So that in itself was a tragedy. It was a, like a, a world stage tragedy. Yes. And I don't know why. I, I keep remembering stuff because, for, for instance, for us in the Caribbean, I think 1979 it was Hurricane David. Okay. Okay. And I sort of like, I think the first hurricane event that I can remember in my lifetime, at the time I would have been more than four years old, you know, was that. And I had no idea what it was. And I just can remember people, you know, putting plywoods on the windows and yeah. uh, taking precautions and stuff. And for some reason, my mom kept saying, don't go outside to play because there's going to be a lot of flying objects and stuff. And I'm like, why are there going to be a lot of flying objects? <laughs> <laughs> You know. <laughs> what is happening that things are going to be flying through the air? <laughs> so, yeah. So, so, so we kind of got like a string of, of catastrophic events. But mm -hmm. this one in particular was definitely something, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And so would you, Jojo, go ahead and put this four-part documentary into perspective for our audience in, in, in why we are talking about it. I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about, as, as Graham said, Challenger, The Final Flight. It's a, it's a Netflix documentary, partially produced, I believe, by J.J. Abrams. And it is about the Challenger space shuttle disaster. It happened in 1986. And this is a extremely well done documentary in that it really shows the optimism surrounding the space program at the time, the excitement surrounding it, and just why this was such a indelible moment for especially young Americans, I think, because when this happened and the seven crew members were killed, a lot of it was on live television. Yes. A lot of it was being streamed into classrooms. And I think this was for a lot of kids the first time maybe that we realized that grown-ups weren't infallible. <laughs> <laughs> and that maybe grown-ups didn't always know what they were doing. And I, I really enjoyed the documentary in a sort of bittersweet way. Brought back a lot of strange memories for me. And kind of it, it puts you in the era very beautifully, really gives you a sense of the style, the, the, the way things were, the, the, the way the news was processed. And uh, it's just a, a very interesting capsule of American history. So let me ask you this, Jojo. When mm -hmm. this, whole hap this whole thing happened, were you, two, were you also in a, in a classroom? Uh, I was home. I don't remember why I was home, but I was home. Well, you would have been. You would have been young enough that you probably hadn't had, hadn't started school yet. No, I, I was. I was doing classwork, so okay. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't exactly. I don't have a complete memory of the day. My husband, who is is older than me, he was home too, and he can't remember why. So I'm. 
wondering if it was like a teacher's day or something that was going on because he he grew up in a different state than I did, but not really that far away in right. terms of so I also um, considering this happened in the wintertime and the cold freeze that was in Florida. Yes, yes. If, if it was freezing in Florida, I'm I mean, imagining the state of Maryland and Delaware, right? If we may have had snow, so that might have been why we were home. We may have had snow. But I remember I didn't see it live. My husband did. He was watching it on, on TV at home. And oh, wow. uh, my I think my sister called my mom and said, you need to get the TV on. And CBS was in a special report with Dan Rather. I remember that very vividly, and they had the video of it. And when, when mom turned the TV on, it was like immediately started with the explosion. So for me, it may as well have happened live being that young, because that was the first thing I saw was was seeing it go up and then exploding. And it was so awful <laughs> because, you know, it was... It was such big news, and and the teacher was so engaging and so yes. bright and so, you know, just excited to be there. And and that's who I remember is her and and the other teacher, the 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 backup teacher, the backup teacher, right? Y yes, I remember the two of them. For some reason, I have a clear remember memory of the backup teacher, and I don't know why. I have a clear memory memory of her and some of the things that that she did and. You know, seeing that happen was just, it was, it was a terrible moment and, and you just felt sick and being young enough, you didn't really, I wasn't really completely able to process why I was feeling so sick, yeah. but I just knew it was something horrible that had happened. And then when they said a few weeks later that they had found the capsule and that they had found the crew members inside. Yes, yes. I was dumb enough or young enough or whatever to think that, oh, they're alive. They're probably alive, right. Yeah, right. they're alive. And uh, because, you know, it's a spaceship. It's it's made to withstand space. It can stand yes. being underwater. It'll be, they, they'll, they'll be fine. They'll be okay. And so, you know, you had this moment of hope being naive and then got it all crushed again, of course, when it was like, oh, no, you know, they're all deceased. Yeah. So it was, it was, uh wasn't a great period of history but it's it's so important to to know about i think it's it's sad but it's just it's important yeah and you know I, i suppose one can say as sad as this is this whole situation was it is also it's been allowed to fade in in, in our memories because it was a mistake an egregious mistake that happened yes. Yes. to Americans and by Americans. Yes. And so it wasn't a terrorist attack. Exactly. It wasn't a cause for us to go to war. Exactly. Therefore it wasn't a natural phenomena. <laughs> exactly. So so let's let's just brush this aside as much as possible, which is why I'm glad they made this documentary and and now Anybody who was born after 1985 will learn about this. Because let's be honest, this, the more you watch this documentary, the more you understand how inevitable this entire tragedy was. 
Yes. Am I right? Or, yes, or no. do, do you see do you see it any other way? No, no. If it happened, if it had not happened on this trip, if they had canceled this trip, it would have happened on the next one or the right. one after that. It would have happened at some point because of their sheer hubris and not listening to the engineers and the technical people who actually knew what was going on. Yes. It was the bureaucrats and the management that were like, no, we're going to do this instead of listening to the people who were in the trenches screaming at them. Please stop. Please let us get this fixed. And it brings me back to, and you and I have had this conversation because we used to be co-workers. It, it brings me back to whenever corporate America is involved in something or whenever anything is being managed on with the assumption of we're going to approach this business in a business manner, there's going to be human life casualties. Yes. Because yes. businesses are designed, well, no, corporate America Corp yes. is designed to have the cake and eat it too. Yes. And yes. that always means let's just not fix things, but rather solve a problem momentarily and we move on. Yes. And if we get faced to that with that problem again, at least we know how to patch it up. Yes. Because yes. why would we spend a bunch of money and time fixing a problem when we have a patch for it? Yes. Yes, exactly. And, <laughs> and businesses, corporate corporations will never care about anything other than the bottom line. They, it does not matter about human life. They do yeah. not care. They don't care that, you know, if they fire you, that you might go home and kill your whole family or that you might go out to the car and commit suicide. They don't care. Businesses do not care about the people that they are supposed to be and have the charge of their life, essentially. So that's why. <laughs> that's why whenever I hear I hear the phrase "I made a business decision," I I back up. I'm like, okay, so I have to analyze how bad of a decision it was. <laughs> how Do many you know? lines in the spreadsheet did you delete that were people? <laughs> <laughs> and so let's get into 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 it a little bit, uh, Jojo. So, if you were to, and, and it doesn't matter now, but if you were to assign culpability, do you think the fault lies more on the side of NASA or the the company that made that little rubber band thing, uh, Thiokol something? Thicor, Thorcor, something like that. Yeah. Right. Um, NASA. NASA, because they had the ultimate deciding power. Even though they tried to push it off on the contractor, the contractor, of course, holds some culpability. Absolutely. But NASA is the one that could have pulled the plug. They could have gone against anything that the corporation said, the, the, the contractor said. And and been like, you know what, based on all of this information, we, we need to scratch it. Because I, I really feel that the, the director of NASA at the time, whose name escapes me, um, he did tell them, essentially, this is the answer we want and you'd better come back with it. 
But at the same time, the contractors had the responsibility to have integrity and say, no, our product is not good and we're not going to go on record saying you should use it. But ultimately, I believe it's NASA because the people that they sent up, the people who went up in that capsule and died were NASA's responsibility. They wore NASA badges. They worked for NASA. They did not work for the contractor. It was NASA's responsibility to keep them safe. I I, I couldn't agree with you more, uh, Jojo, because here's, here's the thing. It was a string of arrogance yes. and, and overconfidence. And, but that wasn't even based on evidence, right? That arrogance wasn't even based on evidence. It wasn't based on, on he, he, here's the bottom line. It was the typical, typical white male patriarchal confidence. I'm in charge because I know, and there is nothing you can tell me that will, that will make things differently. Yes. Because this was an issue of the data you've given me is inconvenient for me. The truth that you are telling me is an, is, is an inconvenience. Yes. And I'm not going to take it. But at the same time, though, I need you to say I can fly. Yes. Because in the end, since you are the contractor, whenever there comes a moment where somebody has to take responsibility for this mistake that I am about to make, I can always go back and say, but they did say we can do it, you know. Yes. yes. But, but the moment where I start to see the, that NASA was and is the actual culprit, is not after that conference call or whatever. It was that morning. Yes. I mean, come on. All of the icicle. Yes. Like, I, I mean, you're talking about, you're in Florida. Yes, you're in Florida and the and the, the launch pad is covered in two to three foot long spears of ice. You're kidding me? Yeah. I mean, you like, there's no way in hell... Like I wouldn't drive a school bus right. under that condition. Right. And you're going to put seven people in a, oh, for the love of God. I mean, come on. Yeah. It, it, it was irresponsible. And somehow I feel like NASA got off unscathed. Like, what was the responsibility? What, what, what did they have to lose? Mm. What, what did they, what was the payback to those families? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, I their their response, I think, t to the families could have been something along the lines of, "Well, they knew it was dangerous, and they signed up for it," which I imagine is what how management cleared their conscience was. Yeah. Well, they they knew, you know, just like a fighter pilot knows that this is experimental and et cetera, et cetera. Then you know, they they signed up for it. They knew the risks, but that's not. I think the documentary does a beautiful job of of explaining that they were pitching this to especially the school teachers who were not engineers who were not scientists right. 
who were not payload specialists, pitching it to them as this is as safe as getting on the downtown bus. Exactly. You know, something exactly. could something could happen, of course, to the downtown bus. But does it ever really? Does it? Mm-hmm. Have Have you ever heard anything happening to the downtown bus? It, you, you know. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's um, exactly right. And and there was a moment where someone said. The astronauts, they weren't they weren't too happy about the whole idea of sending civilians. And that's that's the mentality of a soldier you have there, right? Mm-hmm. Like I know what I signed up for. Mm-hmm. And and I, I'll go as many times as I have Google because this is service, this is what I I'm offering myself for. Yes. I've been fully it, trained, I've had it fully explained to me, I comprehend. I understand the risks. And I'm willing to take those risks. Yes. So I'm fine with that. But the the civilian, that that teacher, a mother of what two children, two little children. Yes. You know what I mean? You literally robbed these kids, this whole family, and and the idea of. The whole thing started as a celebration. The entire family is there. Yes. And to just watch it happen. Yes. That was horrible, Judge, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. Her parents were there. Her elderly parents were there and saw it happen. I, her husband, I, I just, I, I can't imagine the magnitude of, of seeing that and, but at the same time, as they said in the documentary, which is something I never really thought of, was they weren't really sure if something bad had happened because they had never seen right. a rocket launch before. Yes. Which, you know, in this era of being able to, I can go on YouTube and watch a rocket launch. Of course, it's yeah. not going to be the same as being there in person, but I can have a general idea of what a rocket launch is going to look like. But they had right. never seen one. They had absolutely no idea what it was like. So they... They knew by the feeling that something wasn't right, but they weren't 100% sure. So there was a part of them that was going, well, maybe, maybe this was supposed to happen. Maybe everything is fine. And, yeah. and, and that uncertainty coupled with a part of your brain that has the knowledge that I've just lost my, my wife, my mother, my, ch- my daughter, I, I, can't, I cannot fathom. And, and I, I can also imagine because if, if you if you look at the image, uh, the footage, um, it doesn't look like an explosion. No, it really like doesn't. The, like the way that our eyes see an explosion happen, it, that's not what you saw there. It just looked like a bunch of white clouds, yeah. right? Yeah. Except that the trajectory that it was going through simply got suspended you know that's what i saw right like oh how how come it just turned into white clouds and you don't you no longer see something going through it yeah you know and so of course you wouldn't know what the hell you saw because i mean if i saw a car explode i would know that a car exploded right right <laughs> right exactly there there are things that we are that are in our realm of okay i i know what this is or i can put together with the information that I'm receiving what this is, but not so much with, with a, a, a spaceship launch. And I, I liked that they included in the documentary, the, 
the recording of a, a local person that I guess must have just recorded the, the launches as a hobby. Oh, and, yes, yes. And, and he was like, is, is that trouble? I think they've got trouble. Is that yeah. trouble? And, the, and yeah. the fact that he was close enough and you could tell that he had seen them before, but he still himself wasn't entirely sure, yes. said, said a lot to me. I, I really liked that they included that as a sort of uh, everybody's, wait a minute, is, is this a problem? Is this yeah. not a problem? I think this is a problem. <laughs> yes, yes. That was that was a beautiful opening to, I think it was the fourth episode. Yeah. Uh, uh, a beautiful opening. And it is an amazing thing that it was such a, a historic thing that was about to happen, that all of this footage existed. Yes. Because if, if it weren't for the teacher being included... It would have been another routine flight for NASA, wouldn't it have been? Yes. Right? Uh, so you didn't yes. have parents, children, and friends, and brothers and sisters gathering the night before the barbecue and the whole thing, because that was routine. I mean, flights had been happening since the early 80s, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. So the, the notion that a civilian was going to go there for the first time is is what created this whole historic atmosphere and it provides all of this documentation all of this video footage all of this proof of what went wrong yes and i think now we can talk a little bit about the investigation yes there's two things about this that that before i i hear what you have to say i've always been convinced that Reagan was a terrible president, but now, although I still think he was a terrible president, I understand why is it that he had such a huge fan base and even people who didn't have any inclination to vote for his party would have voted for him. Because you know what? Reagan was a good voice actor. Yes. And because he was such a good voice actor, he could play the part of being a great president, yes. although he was shit. And I'm going to repeat that. He was a fucking <laughs> shit as a president. He was a good voiceover actor. And in mm -hmm. fact, he was shit as an actor too. <laughs> Since the early 70s, even before he became a governor, all he was doing was mostly voice work. Yes. yes. Do you know what I mean? Yes. He was a shit actor. Yes. But he had that thing. He had that drama in his voice. Yes. And... And I, I think Americans grew accustomed to, to that. The old man that can tell you that everything is going to be all right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but the moment you can prove that he was a shit president is because, one, he put a bureaucrat in charge of the investigation. Mm -hmm. And the first thing he told him was, do not embarrass NASA. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Yep. So this was just a show. Let's put on a show. Let's show them that we are interested in investigating what happened. But if we don't get to the truth, that's fine with me. And if the truth is too embarrassing, yeah, let's let's just not do that. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. I I completely agree with you in listening to the speech that Reagan gave and watching the speech that Reagan gave after the Challenger explosion. You 
you know, it's a beautiful speech. It is. Yeah. It's it's a beautiful speech. And it, he was supposed to be giving the State of the Nation that night. And instead of doing that, he just did right. a very short, very beautiful speech. And um, it kind of made you nostalgic for the days when there was someone who could who could speak who could speak (laughs) and say something that wasn't about themselves and was just you know this is a moment of mourning and good night everybody essentially you know yeah and again i agree with you i'm i don't i i have a very very low opinion of of him as a president but that moment there was handled beautifully and at the end of it i was the very cynical part of me is like when the when the cameras went down in his head he's probably going I should have gotten an Oscar for that. <laughs> <laughs> Why did yes. I stay in in the movies? I could have gotten an Oscar. <laughs> but um so yes, and then so when he um when he when they set up the the Rogers Commission and he put William Rogers as chairman, uh the former United States Secretary of State. And he said to them, Don't embarrass NASA because we're going to need them later. We yeah. need them now. Was incredibly shallow. It's, it's shallow and it's that 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 corporate America again. The yeah. the we're we're not gonna lose face because we we need we need this or whatever. But the one thing I will say about William Rogers is even though that he gave NASA huge leeway at the beginning, when it became apparent that they had, that they were culpable when, yeah. when, uh, what was his name? When the, the, the Nobel Feynman. laureate. Yes. Feynman. When, when, when Feynman did that and they did the closed door session and one of the engineers stood up and said this we this never happened they're lying to you yeah, yeah nasa's lying to you i will say that for him he stopped trying to save nasa yeah. according to this documentary it really looks like at that point he was like okay you've lied to me i gave you all of this I I cannot in good conscience continue to do what the president has directed me to do. Yeah. I am going to make you culpable because there's a quote from him, a, a video of him talking to the director of NASA, whose name was Larry Malloy, yep. talking to Larry Malloy. And Larry Malloy is like, well, I told them this. And William Rogers said, but by, by saying that you told them you wanted this outcome. Right. And and at that point, I was like, you know what? I have some respect for William Rogers at this point because he could have been like, oh, oh, okay. Well, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. You know, yeah. that makes, oh, oh, totally. I get it. I get it. But he, instead, he was like, no, you told them that because you wanted that outcome and you got it from them. So you're, so I, I, I have respect for him for doing that because he honestly could have just kept doing what the president told him to do. And that would not happen today. Exactly. That would not happen today. That's all I've been thinking of. Yes. Yes. That would never happen today. If 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 Larry Malloy said that today in a commission, and I don't even think there would be a commission today, I'll be honest. But if there had that if one had been put together, then whoever the bureaucrat was that was put in charge would have been like, Oh, well, whatever you say, sir. That's that's fine. It's fine. Yeah, and, and probably they wouldn't have called like the same thing, like Remember the Kavanaugh hearings? It's like, yeah, oh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna send the FBI to investigate this, but they can only investigate 
so and such and such and such, and they have 72 hours. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Because again, it, the truth is inconvenient. So we're just going to put a facade and, you know, just just so people can say it was done. You're absolutely right. None of this. The way that Rogers switched, that wouldn't have happened because what you have today is a bunch of psychophants. Yes. And yes. they don't yes. understand, they don't have a sense of duty. No, they have no sense of, of morality. I mean, uh, William Rogers realized, I believe, that, okay, I have this responsibility to the president, but I also have a responsibility to the people of this country. And once it turned out that NASA had been lying to his face, he was like, I can no longer respect the wishes of the president. I have a higher calling at this point. I have yeah. to work for the country and for the people of this country. And... I think that's another important reason to watch this documentary is to see the juxtaposition of what's going on today as opposed to what was going on 35 years ago. Yes. Because yes. it was the same party in charge, but yes. they were not toadies. They were not sycophants. They were not bootlickers. Yeah. I'm sure there were plenty of them that were, but most of them were, no, my duty is, a, it's a higher calling. The president may direct one thing, but if I discover that there is something that is deeper that is going on, then I have to ignore that and do my actual job. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, beautifully said, Jojo. That's exactly, that's exactly the idea here. And again, that that's why I'm grateful for this documentary, because it does show you that our politics, uh, life in office wasn't always sycophancy and, and bootlicking. It wasn't always a cult. And we talked about how much veneration Ronald Reagan had from his party and even from some outside of his party. Yes. But still, still, William Rogers understood, I have a responsibility my responsibility is towards my country. My responsibility is not towards a man, but it's towards the rule of law. Yes, yes. And that's what it comes down to, isn't it? it it's, yeah. it's just, it's just yeah. a higher call that would, would, that doesn't exist today. And it's very fitting that we're talking about this because right now we are going through this, aren't we? Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, don't misunderstand me. Politicians have always been politicians to some extent. They are always going to cover their ass. They're always going to watch watch out for what is best for them. But at the same time, there's going to be core people who understand there should be, there needs to be, there has to be for something to be functioning. There has to be core people who understand that they have this call, higher calling, that their responsibility is to the people of the country and not to, as you said, a man a person or a party <laughs> right and you still have those people except that those people are showing this kind of patriotism and stuff when they get out and start writing a book about it yes do you know what i mean yes <laughs> and that, which means that it didn't exist exactly it, which it, it means that some publisher or someone somewhere said um so yeah about that <laughs> right it, 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 it's, it's, it's just not the same. It's not the same. You know, all no. of this, well, we stayed in uh, within this government because we wanted to be the grown-ups and we wanted to, to, to be the ones to to have the voice of reason and stuff. 
he still got away with doing a whole bunch of shit he should have never done while you were there. Then you got fired. And then you want to tell us about it now that you have a book to sell? Fuck right. you. Right. Exactly. Now that there's, yeah. you can make some money off of it, you, you, you're you going to tell me how wonderful you are? Okay, sure. Yeah, I believe Fuck you. Got it. No. Yep. No. Yep. Yep. Do you also have a bridge in Arizona that you're trying to sell? Some oceanfront property? A bridge in Arizona. I like the bridge in Arizona. <laughs> Especially due to the fact that there's no body of water to <laughs> Yo, that's awesome. <laughs> so what else captivated you on this documentary, Jojo? I think as you you mentioned before was the the footage that there was so much footage and so much good footage if you will. Yeah. You know, there wasn't a lot of shaky cam stuff. There was a lot of very professional people that were out there shooting this. My father was a television engineer and I I honestly believe uh, yeah, I believe that if he had decided to go down the path, he could have been one of the engineers working on the space program, if that's what right. he decided to do, because he was so brilliant. And so watching watching the, the professionalism and the quality of the, the footage that came out of this made me think of my dad. And also the fact that the engineers on this were screaming, uh, you know, don't do this, essentially, screaming that there's a memo that's that starts out with help in all caps when you didn't yes. use all caps. That yes. wasn't done back in the 80s, okay? We all yes. use all caps now just to be silly or just to catch attention. But in a, a professional memo, one did not use all caps with multiple explanation point, exclamation points. <laughs> so when the, when the engineers were screaming that, it, it made me think of my father because everything that he ever did – because he, we grew up extremely poor, and anything that he ever did or made, so a lot of things around the house were, were fixed or made by him, were done with a view to safety. And I think about that a lot. Like everything, if he made something out of wood, he made sure to sand down all the points so that there was nothing that you could possibly catch a splinter on. If he ever worked with metal, it was the same thing. There was no sharp corners. Everything was either metaled or, or, or planed down. He always was thinking about safety. And I think about that with him and knowing that those engineers would have had a similar mindset because he was you know, in the age group that they would have been, maybe a yes. little younger, yes, that, yes. that they would have had similar education. And I I think about them, they would have known and been thinking about the cost of human life. And because I know that he would have too. <laughs> so I kind of felt like it was a, it was a way of, it, it made me think a lot about my father and his engineering background. And, and it's like, if the engineer is screaming at you, don't do something, would you listen to the engineer? Because they know. Jojo, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing that you, you're saying this and you say, you, you're telling me how much it made you think about your father. Because again, what I know of your father, I only know because we've been friends and you, you've talked about your father so fondly. But there is a man one of the engineers for, for Thiokol that is mentioned, and it's his daughter that normally will, would talk about him during the, during the documentary. Yes. And for some reason, I place this man in your father's body. His name is something Ebling. Yes. Last name Ebling. And I'm like, yeah, because he was... 
there's two of them. It was that guy Ebling, the old old dude who passed away, and there's a very much younger engineer who has the voice, sounding voice of Doctor Tobin, <laughs> whenever yes, he, he was on screen. <laughs> yes. And, and at some point, he even broke down crying. Yes. Uh, uh, yes. Those seem to be the only two people who were genuinely worried about the cost of human life. Yes. And in that to this day, to this day, it haunts this younger yes. guy. Yes. 35 years later, and he was saying, I, I'm the one who sent the fax because I'm the yes. one who knew how to use the fax machine Right. because I was younger, which which made me think of like, oh, you know, the, the older people are like, I don't know how to send an email. Can you do it? Yeah. You know, <laughs> You work that newfangled fax machine. But he was like, I regret to this day that I'm the one who sent that and didn't send along. I am a dissenting voice. I don't yes. agree with this. Yes. I, I, and, and I think that was one of the points where he broke down in tears. Uh, he was, he was lovely. He was, I, I feel so bad for him that he carries this burden. But so let's talk, let's talk about Larry Malloy. Larry Malloy still, doesn't look contrite at all. Not uh, in the slightest. Not in the slightest. And that, because there were so many people in, there was him and the other gentleman whose name slipped my mind. There was two of them that were not, not accepting any responsibility whatsoever. They, they were like, well, I would, I did what I did and I would do it all over I again. I would do it again. Are, <laughs> are you, what is wrong with you? I would do it again. What? It, it, what? <laughs> And this is when I stopped and I'm like, I'm like, okay. And then I think about the longevity that these two motherfuckers have had because Larry Malloy is probably in his early 90s. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, he was old at the time. He was. He was. He <laughs> and was. if you look at him right now, right, whenever this thing was filmed, he looks like one of those rats that are like so old that all you can see is the two teeth in the front and the back is peeling and shit. Yes. That's how old this motherfucker is. And yes. still 30 something years later, this guy is still saying, yeah, I would, I would have done it again. I don't, I don't give a fuck about seven people having died. I would have done it again. You know. I, I can't imagine the hubris it takes to say that sort of thing and to not even say, because neither one of them, I, I really need to find out the name of the other one. Neither one of them were like, I regret that it happened. They didn't even do that. There wasn't even, I regret that it happened or I, I, I feel bad that these people lost their lives. There was none of that. It was all a do it all again, and they knew the risks, and yada yada yada. Which you, which you could argue that the astro- astronauts did know the risk. You could argue that, but not the teacher. Not the teacher. Not you the teacher. had not the teacher. She had absolutely no idea of the risks. Even, even with one of the pilots, because the pilot Michael Smith, his wife was saying that that he decided to take them aside and explain and to the t- exactly. and explain to them exactly. But by that point, and this is not to say anything against him. It's brilliant that he did that, and and I I know the courage that it take took to do that. 
But by that point, they would have been so indoctrinated, so Stockholm syndromed into this is great and wonderful and marvelous that I don't know that that actually sunk in. I know that the backup teacher said that we were fully aware, but I don't know that they can actually look back and say that they were fully aware until this tragedy happened. Then she could probably say, okay, that's what he was talking about. But but at the end of the day, it was always, it would have been always easier for them. For, because think about this, the build-up to the teacher being selected and after she was selected and everything, all of the celebrity that she gained, to a certain extent it became, this is in service to my country. There, yes. there was, it, was, yes. it, it became more of a yes. patriotic duty kind of thing yes. where backing up would have been, I'm failing my country, isn't it? Yes, yes. Uh, yes. It wouldn't have that been like? Wouldn't yes. you have thought of it that way? Yes. If you oh, were, dis- if you were given all of this hoopla, and everybody telling you you're doing a great thing, we're glad mm-hmm. you're doing this. We're mm-hmm. happy you're doing this. We're proud of you, right? Mm-hmm. And NASA having given you every assurance possible that, yeah, this is like riding a bus, except you're in the air. Yeah. Yeah. You know, why would you back up? So in reality, it was, it came down to whoever had the authority to say, no, this is not happening today. That's it. That's it. And the notion that this, the one person who was responsible for all of that, almost 40 years later says, I don't think I did anything wrong. Uh, Arnold Aldrich was the name of the other man. So it was Arnold Aldrich and Larry Malloy were the, were the two that were... Uh, Arnold Aldrich was the manager of the shuttle program that year. And then Larry Malloy was the, the head of NASA at the time. And the two of them have no... They have no regrets. No regrets. That's uh, That's unbelievable to me. I agree. I can't... I cannot, I have regrets in, in, in jobs that did not involve anybody dying. Dying, yes. <laughs> May not have even involved in hurt feelings, but I have regrets about them. And, yeah. and you know, it's like the, those decisions. And I'm not saying that to think, say that I'm some kind of a marvelous person or something. That's not at all what I mean. I'm just saying as an average human being, I've caused and done things that I'm like, that was really shitty. I should not have done that. But these yeah. two people were in charge of the lives of seven people, along with all of the grounds crew, everybody else. In some case, in some some arguments, you could say they were in charge of the country's psyche at this point. Right. And they and they have no regrets. No regrets. They blew, they blew up seven people. They killed seven people. They caused a catastrophic event that has reverberations and echoes through generations. Gosh. And they have no regrets. Just the amount of children who were watching this thing live. Yes. Imagine. I- yes. Imagine. I'm, I'm my school's cafeteria, and we're watching this great thing happening in our country. And yeah. boom, just like that. I just yeah. witnessed a catastrophic event. Yes. That, that thankfully you, for instance, weren't in school on that yeah. day. Yeah. That you didn't get to see it. You saw it afterwards. But imagine the impact that would have on you if you had watched it happen live. The uncertainty, the 
the the notion that I don't know this could have been Mrs. Brown had she been selected. Yeah. Thank God she's right here with me. Yeah. But again, there's a teacher in there, <laughs> you yeah. know. And in 1986, this is uh, I think something to remember too. In 86, school was still a, a safe safe place. School was still a school was there wasn't there hadn't been shootings. Columbine hadn't happened yet. School yeah. was was kind of a home away from home. So to have that tragedy happen in a safe place to a member of the safe community, the, the, the damage, the psychological damage, her children, her, her, her class were watching this, you know, yes. they were, they, they had yes. party hats and they had, yes. they had party poppers, you know, and, and noisemakers and things like that and balloons. And I mean, it's, I, it's, a, it's a fantastic bragging right to say, you know what? Yeah, my teacher, my, my home, teacher. my home teacher is actually a freaking astronaut. So yes, yeah, take that. Yes, right? exactly. <laughs> I I can't imagine. I mean, I'm sure they were never able to really wear a party hat again or hear those noises right. again because that's uh, uh, PTSD. I'm I'm I and I don't think that I'm over dramatizing this in the slightest. It would it, it, imagine your mother, someone that you care about blowing up on live television. Yeah. And to discover that the reason was again not some sort of atmospheric thing that could not have been predicted, was not an attack, was not uh, a a a natural phenomena, but solely came down to the fault of humans who were trying to reach a bureaucratic deadline for, (laughs) for money because they wanted funding. Exactly. I don't know how you could ever recover from that fully as, and forgive fully. I don't. And, And let me ask you this. Do you think if NASA had gone to the Congress and said, I know that you said that, if we don't meet this particular amount of flights per year, you're going to decrease our funding. But we have problems that need to be taken care of that until such time we take care of these issues, until such time we resolve these problems, we're not going to be able to meet this number of flights because it is a high-risk of losing lives. Do you think really Congress, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm in, I'm just asking, genuinely asking this question. You think Congress would have said, yeah, fuck the human life you're trying to save, man. Uh, we ain't going to give you no damn money because we told you 12 flights a year and you ain't meeting that. So fuck you. Like, I, I can't see that happening. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, can't see it happening because of Congress having so many constituents to answer to. Right. Especially at the time. I, I could see them being extremely unhappy. But if NASA publicly said, if we keep doing this, people are going to die, I don't see Congress saying, oh, yeah, we don't care. Keep keep doing right. what you're doing. I, I don't see that happening. Now, if it had been behind yeah. closed doors, I think Congress would be like, <laughs> yeah, up yeah. yours. Yeah. But I, I think if it had been a public, look, there's problems. These are the problems. We've been trying to address them. It's not working. We need two years to get this fixed. 
Um, because they got the two years at the cost right. of seven lives. Exactly. They, but they got him. So I, I would like to think that in the hypothetical of, well, not even the hypothetical, but in, in the, the certainty of, but not having happened yet, if they had said seven people are going to die if we don't get two years, that Congress would say, okay, it, you, you get your two years. I, I would absolutely. like to think that. I'm, I'm with you. I, I think you're absolutely right. Larry Malloy was more interested in the glory yes. of, of yes. I got assigned a yes. job and I got it done. Yes. And, and and that's the problem with the whole, well, such and such person is a great is a great employee because they get the job done. And I think you and I have talked about this when I've told you, like whenever you hear that a big corporation goes ahead and eliminates 200 or 500 positions. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that the job that these 500 people used to do is not in, is not being done. It's been assigned to Karen, to Julia, to Frank, to Josie, to, to, to all of these people. And most likely, most likely, they're not getting one penny more than what they were making. Nope. Nope. They're but not they getting, get the job done. They're not getting one penny more. The job may be getting done, but how well is it getting done? And what I, I will never understand corporate. I'm going to say America because I don't know what other countries are like. I've never lived in other countries, but I don't understand corporate America. I don't, and I'm happy I don't, because I don't want <laughs> to understand. I, I don't want to have the sliver of ice in my heart or a chunk of ice instead of my heart to say that money is more important than people because money is paper, money is pieces of paper, money is things. It does not matter when it comes down to it. What matters is who you've taken care of, how you've lived your life as an individual. It doesn't matter about what you've accumulated. And I think with that... <laughs> We should easily call it a day. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> Jojo, thank you for this. Thank you for this absolute fine piece of golden nugget. Uh, <clears throat> we are going to invite everyone to please follow us on social media. We are everywhere. Everywhere. Uh, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, except for LinkedIn. No, no, fuck LinkedIn. You, <laughs> you fuck LinkedIn, man. But you'll find us everywhere. <laughs> and finally, uh, the video version of this show is going to be uploaded on our YouTube channel. So if you're watching right now and you want to get more of this, you want to watch more of this show in the future remember to subscribe and also boom hit the little bell so that you get a notification whenever we upload a new episode you can follow uh, me and jocelyn on instagram you'll find jocelyn as jocelyn podcast and i am mr putzetta m-r-p-u-z-c-e-t-t-a so, if you listen to the show, the audio version of it, and you would like to leave us a little review on whichever is the platform you listen on, 
do that, give us a couple of stars so that more people can find this content. Yes, but please. For now, for me and for Jojo, ladies and gentlemen, we're calling it a day. Thank you. <laughs>